NFL Week 6 Market Outlook. I'm your co-host, Brett Matthew, along with my partner and betting strategist extraordinaire, Judah Fortgang, and special guest, Arjun Menon. Like Judah, he also writes for PFF, has his own podcast with Tej Seth called Taking the Points. Quickly become really a go-to listen for me every week. It offers really sharp takes, fresh analysis, and most importantly, actionable takeaways. Something I'm always looking for in a podcast and that very few have. And so if you aren't already subscribed, go check that out. But before we jump into week six, I did want to do just a quick refresh of week five. We could look at how some of the consensus market power rankings have changed. We can look through some of our drive quality scoreboard. But Arjun, starting with you, what were some of your key takeaways from week five? Anything stick out to you? And did you make any money? Yeah, I was up a little bit just betting spreads and totals. I was heavily live betting the Chiefs on Monday night after they went down 14. I want to shout out Judah for that really cool, like how do offenses perform when they're leading with a win probability of over 70% because the Raiders did exactly what they've done under Derek Carr, which is stall when they're up like 17 or 14 and the Chiefs came back. So made a little bit of money there, lost a little bit on the lines with you guys on, on Sunday, but it was overall a, a pretty good day. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're getting in more and more demand. I know you're on PFF <laughs> forecast this last week. You just got added to broader distribution. Now you guys are going to be doing two episodes a week. That's exciting stuff. What about you, Judah? Anything you take away from week five and how did your bankroll perform? I got murdered on spreads and totals. Thankfully, sack props really saved me. We're increasing the unit size, we have to. But I got murdered on the Lions, live betting. We had a, a bunch of tough tilts. The fact that the Chargers were minus two when I thought it was one and a half, that, that really put me on tilt. As for broader takeaways, I think the Broncos are still a little surprising. They sucked, right? There's no denying it, but relative to the market, they keep on playing well in this drive quality metric and other analytical trends like EPA. Broncos are surprising. I downgraded them a little bit, but I'm a little higher on them relative to the rest of the market. And we're going to talk about this as we preview the next week. But I really think the Jets caught my eye this week. You don't accidentally put up 40 points. Yes, Skylar Thompson was the quarterback, but that has nothing to do with how many points the Jets offense scored. And there's really a case to be made that like Zach Wilson's gotten better. And that's something we should lean into. Even according to our drive quality scoreboard, they legitimately earned those 40 points. Oh, Matt, this is something I wrote about after week four, which is just like the NFC teams and the best teams from 2021 have all gotten so much worse. Like the Bucks, Rams, Packers, and that really came to fruition. These teams are not the same teams. And so long as like they're being power ranked as those teams and being priced as those teams, I really want to sell. Yeah, one of the things that, and I had a very tilty Sunday as well, as articulated on our Sunday night tilt episode, the cherry on top, was judo when we were going back and forth around what our five selections were going to be for our circuit contest the cardinals was in there by the I time you went to sleep yeah and then when you woke up they were gone <laughs> and i supplemented with the bucks who should have covered and didn't but why i wanted to highlight that bad memory was because according to our drive quality scoreboard cardinals won we got them 26 earned points to Philly's 23 earned points, which goes to demonstrate how solid of a pick that really was, isolating that moment to lean into betting against the Eagles, when we know so many people have been fearful to do, and I think we'll continue to be fearful to do. Yeah. Still the only undefeated team in the league. And even the Saints and Seahawks and yeah. the point totals themselves, 
it's becoming a trend. Maybe this offense is actually good. And even the Saints without really any receivers, which goes to show the depth they have. And the Seahawks defense is awful, but yeah. you don't put up 40 by accident. Bears aren't putting up 40 against anyone. The Texans aren't putting up 40 against anyone. The Saints-Seahawks game was definitely a big eye-opener, but I think that's one where we shouldn't overreact too much. But it is impressive to see they showed up pretty highly in your drive quality metric. What also sticks out here is the time-weighted average margin and the time-weighted average win probability. How we used it in our off-season previews was to give us a better sense of how that game really ended up playing out. Because when I'm looking at this Giants-Packers game, according to our drive quality scoreboard, the Giants earned more points than the Packers, so it was a legitimate win. But the time-weighted average margin was negative five for the Giants, and their time-weighted win probability was 33%. That makes total sense to us, because it's fresh in our minute. We know how that game played out, and we know that they were down 10-zip right off the bat, and were down by at least one score for most of that game. Colts is another one. The Broncos in our drive quality, beating them by almost a touchdown. Time-weighted average win probability for the Colts, minus three. Time-weighted average win probability, 26%. And yet it squeaked that game out. And that's why I would not be upgrading the Colts at all. I, I don't understand how they're division favorites right now. Or I don't know how they're favorites of the Jaguars. Jaguars this week. Yeah, yeah I mean, I that for sure. But like how, even a long-term outlook, I don't get it. And when we look at our consensus market power rankings, which looks at the power rankings from different media stalwarts like ESPN, PFF, 538, Football Outsiders, and InPredict. And then equal weights those rankings and gives us a consensus market ranking. Something we've highlighted before is the methodology and the way they approach these rankings is different. So it could be a little noisy, but it can still be helpful to understand and quantify how the market is evaluating these teams from a relative perspective. And so we have the Bills at the top, Chiefs, Bucks, Eagles, Ravens to round out the top five, and then Packers at six, which seems high to me. And then Cowboys come roaring back after being down big early in the season, especially after that Dak Prescott injury. And then Niners, Bengals, Browns to round out the top 10. The your Chargers arguing just outside the top 10 at 11 and we can see some of the biggest weekly changes is the lions dropping nine spots after the shellacking by the patriots now sitting at one and four and now we're starting to hear a lot of creeping negative sentiment around the coaching staff and oh all the stuff that they were doing is cute on the off season and when you're covering a lot of numbers but now when you start losing gains and it's not so cute anymore then we got dolphins a lot of that is injury based cardinals this is cute can someone explain this? Did yeah. they not just outperform expectations against the Eagles? No matter how you slice it. I guess they didn't do it good enough. I like 100 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Okay. It just seems they're so like discombobulated. Maybe with DeAndre Hopkins, they, they make a run towards the end of the year. But I watched a little bit of that Eagles game and wish a lot of Kyler Murray doing what he does best. And they've been a better second half team than, than a first half team. But they scored 10 points in the first half, 7 in the second half. And Eagles were hurting pretty badly towards the end of that game and the, the cardinals were driving on that last drive but still i think there's some underlying issues that they haven't solved yet i don't know if 22 is too low but i don't see them as like league average team as of right now yeah i think that's fair the only takeaway i had this week is week one is seeming more like a fluke than uh, carrying any signal right it blitzed this hunt against mahomes it's a recipe for disaster yeah. they have 45 points 
but they played at or above expectation all the other weeks since. So maybe this defense is actually okay. We're not live trading late afternoon games, but that Eagles-Cardinals game lined up perfectly for a live bet. I bet. Knowing it. that the Cardinals start off slow and that the mm -hmm. Eagles, how many points did they score in the second half all season? I think this game went the way I thought it would and Judah thought it would, that I bet the Car Eagles first half minus three, landed on four, and then I, me and Judah were talking, and I was like, they're probably going to come back. And so Judah's live bet the cards what was like plus 14, plus 15 or something, easily covered. Yeah. So I think there's angles to play the Cardinals, and it's probably something you don't want to pre-bet because they're going to go down early. Given the vulnerability in that division, I can see your angle, Judah, around potentially leaning into some of the variants for a team like the Cardinals, who have a very high ceiling, if everything starts to click right. One of the things I have here too is a standard deviation across the rankings to demonstrate where's the most disagreement across these media platforms and how they're power ranking these teams. Football Outsiders has the Seahawks as the 10th ranked team, so that's like a massive outlier. But there's pretty much, there's pretty good agreement that the Seahawks are still a bottom three team. How do you guys feel? I know, Judy, you were mentioning earlier, Maybe you need to legitimately reevaluate how good Geno Smith is. He needs to be rated differently moving forward, that these are no longer just singular outlier events that are just coincidentally happening more often than not. And if that's the case, as bad as their defense is, the Seahawks are materially mispriced then as a bottom three team. I don't know if I agree with football outsiders saying that they're the 10th best team. <laughs> Well, what do you think, Arjun? How are you thinking about Geno Smith now? And how is that filtering down to how you're thinking about the Seahawks? I think some people are overreacting to a small sample. Some people actually think he's good, like Steven Ruiz. And some of the Seahawks fans who like actually studied Geno's tape actually liked him before the season. And it's shown up on tape again. But I don't know, I feel hesitant because he played the Lions who just suck on defense. He played, like Dan said, the Saints coming off London. But you watch some of the throws he makes, and it's like, those are like legit NFL throws. And you don't just throw two 40-yard touchdowns on, not just on Yak, but like through the air on accident. We should give a little bit of respect to Geno Smith, and we should treat him like at least a league average quarterback until he proves otherwise. So while I don't think he's hitting Trevor Lawrence's levels, he's at the level where we should respect him and not treat him like he's a bottom barrel quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. It's not just the fact that the Seahawks are scoring points. It's not just the fact that Geno Smith is throwing touchdowns and leading drives. It's the way it's happening. Lastly, before we move into week six, you know, looking at just some of the year-to-date changes from week one to today and how the market has reevaluated some of these teams. I want to call it the Jags. This was a team Judah and I really liked in the offseason, but now legitimately put in an ugly performance versus the Texans at home. Legitimately lost versus a bottom two team. But how are you guys thinking about Trevor Lawrence and the Jags right now? So the market's got them ranked mid-tier, 13th. Does that seem about fair? I think 13 is perfect. What's interesting this weekend is that Impredict, which is pulling from the actual spreads of the game, has them as 20th. Yeah. Meaning they're actually currently this week being priced as 20th, which I think is a mismatch because I actually think 13 is probably the right number. The defense is really impressed so far which I think is the biggest delta between the offseason and now. Like the front four has really been terrific. Well, with Trevor Lawrence, how many times, Brett, did we see, and I think this is what you're pointing out with the year-to-date change, there was like rafts of power rankings and it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And it's like, 
Oogie games are going to happen. We have to build in that they're going to be bad weeks. I haven't really downgraded Trevor Lawrence at all. I think he's the same player he was. Football players are going to go through weird random games. Right? The Chargers are going to lose to the Texans last year for no good reason. This happens all the time. And I don't think it's worth overreacting. I agree. The thing with an ELO model is you're baking in priors a lot. So this is obviously baking in the fact that the Jags are picking number one last year and it's still pretty early in the season. As when you compare like football outsiders where they, the Jags DVOA performance against like the Chargers in week three was like in the 30s or something, which is absurdly high. So I think that's baked in too much, but I think 13 is the right rank. I think Lawrence will be fine in the long run. There are a lot of things he's doing very well. And when it comes to being more consistent through the air, I think that will get better as the season goes on. And I hinted at it in my Back to the Futures piece for PFF, but I don't think they should be the third highest odds to win the division after one bad game. Yeah, I think the sell-off is extremely negative and that basically this is the signal. The last two weeks and the first three weeks was actually noise. And I think we're starting to see that in some of the market pricing this week. Being a two-point underdog seems mispriced, but let's get into week six. Thursday night, Commanders flipped. So Bears were minus one and now Commanders minus one. Heard it's supposed to be like questionable weather. The total's been dropping. I think it was like 41. Now it's down to 38. I do have a lean on the commanders in this game. And I feel like I might be an idiot for betting on Carson Wentz, but like Jude always says, like the positive variances do. And I think my main like thing for this game is the thing that the commanders do very well on defense counters what the Bears do very well on offense. The commanders per rush EPA, a top five team, the fourth in rushing success rate allowed. The Bears, pretty much all they can do is run the ball. I think it's going to be about like 8 to 10 mile per hour wins in Chicago tomorrow night. So that's going to influence a lot of rushing. Johnson's coming back, but like Kyler Gordon is like literally one of the worst nickel cornerbacks in the NFL right now. And that's where Curtis Samuel is going to be. So I think he's going to have a pretty good game. Commanders have shown me enough at times where like they hang around. You, you beat a team like the Jags, you hang around with the Titans where it seemed more of a coin flip than a four-point game, right? It's tough to really back Carson Wentz on a short week, even though I think there might be some motivation after what Ron Rivera said in this press conference. And to your point, according to our drive quality scoreboard, Titans-Washington pretty much exactly was a coin flip. Yeah. One-point game. And the time-weighted average win probability was essentially split 50%. Time-weighted average margin, one point. So it really was a total coin flip. One of the things Darnell called out, he's been on some of our live streams on the game trades. I'm sure he's heard you talk, Arjun, about your adoration yeah. of fields under touchdown props. Are you yeah, leaning into already, that this yeah. week as well? Yeah, it's already in the it's already in the bank. <laughs> Locked it in. Yeah. What do you think, Judah? That's a staple. I'm not sure if I'm going to bet it, only because, like, ugly game, two bad teams. This is a spot I stay away. The Bears don't look good. They don't look dysfunctional. The market agrees with you, Arjun. That seems like the edge is towards Washington having flipped favorites. Not a meaningful move from one to one, but this is probably a game that I'm not going to touch. And also, I can't bet Bears games since I'm a Bears fan. It doesn't matter. Like, I will lose money. Bears but, game in October is a disaster. And, oh, and in October. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't cancel out. No, it just it's compounded. All right. Bucks at Pittsburgh. Bucks minus eight. A little bit of buying on Pittsburgh. I saw this at nine, then eight and a half. Now it's reduced juice eight. Most of the bets coming in on the Bucks. One of the things I was talking about last 
week on the Sunday night tilt was we bet the Bucks minus eight and a half versus the Falcons, destroying them 21 zip and let them come all the way back. Took the foot off the pedal. And I just don't know if I can trust the Bucks at such a pricey level. The margin of error for a team like the Steelers is so high because they're not going to score points, especially against a good Bucks defense. But I do have my concerns about how good the Buccaneers offense actually is and their ability to extend leads because I don't think this is the same team. I don't think it was a, just a function of them taking their foot off the gas. They still passed 55 times. They just weren't effective. I'm not sure I'm comfortable laying eight with the Bucks when I think they're being priced as 2021 Bucks. The market is yeah. grading them very high, only downgrading them a spot year to date, despite looking very clunky. Still ranked as the third, third ranked team. ESPN got them at three, PFF got them at three, 538.5, Football Outsiders four, in predict three. Standard deviation, one of the lowest. So there's pretty much also a unanimous agreement that the Bucks are still an elite team. Yeah. Maybe they are mispriced in this game. And for that reason, I can't bet the Bucks here. If anything, it'd be like the Bucks in a teaser leg. But but yeah, no, the Bucks have the Bucks are, didn't really show me much last week to to back them at all. Still on the road, going to pit, still can be tough. And I, from what I've seen from Kenny Pickett, doesn't look like he's downright miserable. I think he's gonna show up from time to time this season if it's going to be versus a top three defense probably not 49ers at atlanta a little bit of buying on atlanta this was like six six and a half now it's down to five and a half from a betting perspective looks like it's generally split i'm worried about the 49ers injuries just piling up nick bosa going out with his groin injury Emmanuel Mosley, who was playing at a solid level for the Niners, he's out. So now you add a, a weak link or depending on what Jason Verrett does, I don't know if he's going to start playing again. But the thing with Atlanta is I think Arthur Smith is a good play caller, but I just don't understand their offense. Now they don't have Cordell Patterson, so I'm not like intimidated by their run game. So I think I, this one's like a layoff for me, unless I'm teasing the Niners down to pick them basically. But Nico Ryan's is one of the best and I mean, he he's could probably still find a way to keep the Falcons under 20 points. The under is a little intriguing to me, just because I'm also not yet enthralled with the Niners offense. Sure. Um, I'm not, I'm certainly not backing the Falcons. I think five and a half is a lot. The Falcons are plucky. They're really plucky. Five and zero oh against the spread. Right? Five and zero oh against the spread and still only marginally upgraded. Two spots year to date. And most of that coming from last week. So still 19th ESPN, 27th PFF, 23rd from 538, 15th at Football Outsiders. My thing with the Falcons and especially the Niners, if the Niners can get the Falcons into expected passing situations, I think it's over, especially if Nick Bosa plays because the Niners right now have the second highest pressure rate among all teams in the NFL. So if Nick Bosa is playing and 49ers go up double digits early and Marcus Mariota is going back and drop back passing 40 times a game. I don't think the nine, I don't think the Falcons have the ability, especially without pitch, to come in back door this five and a half. But if they're able to keep it in a neutral game script, still have the probability of running and passing the ball, I think that neutralizes the elite Niners defensive line and whatever blitz packages Miko Ryan's like to likes to send. I guess the the handicap there would be if you think even if the five, 49ers do take a lead, if they're gonna continue to remain defensively aggressive yeah. because we've already seen the Falcons built to come from behind at this point in time. Again, they're more banged up now as well. 
So there's that. If this goes back to six, that's still not paying the Falcons team really any respect. Basically a full touchdown at home yeah. and you're already 5-0 and ATS. First, a banged up 49ers team, especially if Bosa doesn't play. I don't think Bosa's going to play. And that might be why there's some pressure. Yeah. On this line moving I don't, I don't have a great read, I don't think, on this game. No, you're talking about like the shifting market sentiment. After that Broncos game, it was, ah, the Niners, like, and eh, Jimmy G, like, this team isn't that good. Their defense was supposed to be great, and it just kind of looks average. And just how fast some of these narratives change. Jets at Green Bay. I'm Jets tearing up already. Plus seven and a half. Take it away. There are multiple angles here. We talk about this all the time, about how the market is extremely slow to adjust to quarterbacks improving from year one to year two. I think the assumption is Zach Wilson is the same quarterback he was. He's in the same situation he was. And I don't think that's even close to true. And he's actually played very well. He's by far the best passer from a clean pocket, which is one of the most stable metrics. He's taking much fewer sacks, which was an issue that plagued him last year. Whatever it is, the CPA is higher, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it speaks a lot to, number one, the offensive situation, right? That the receivers are getting open and they're being schemed open. Garrett Wilson is absolutely terrific. The run game has gotten going. All of that speaks to, the, I think, the Jets offense is actually these last couple of weeks, a top 10 unit is a signal of what's to come. And we're getting incredible odds on that. Why? Because the Packers are still being priced as the same 2021 team. When they've been terrible. Yeah. Their offense has been legitimately bad. No good team like accidentally plays close games or loses to the Giants there. They're not the same team. They're still being priced as the same team. Not to mention, there are a bunch of angles within the game that have me on the Jets, which is that the Achilles heel of Aaron Rodgers has always been pressure when his offensive line breaks down. The Jets are fifth in the NFL at forcing mistakes on the offensive line. In terms of EPA, Aaron Rodgers has the fifth biggest discrepancy when the play is perfectly blocked versus when the play is not perfectly blocked. Not to mention that the offense is not getting open. Defenses are perfectly covering their plays at about nearly half, 50%, and the Jets are perfectly covering their plays at 50%. Add those two together and you have a lot of expected negative plays, right? For an offense that's already struggling and still being priced as the 2021 team. The last thing I'll say, is that in 2019, Aaron Rodgers was, their team was 13 and three, but Aaron Rodgers really struggled. It seemed like he didn't really buy into the LaFleur system at all. And he was playing out of structure. If you watch the games now, especially the second half when things weren't working, Rodgers was not playing it within rhythm where he was extremely successful with LaFleur, but he's just like chucking up deep balls down the sideline. Yeah. Um, like he's not comfortable and he's playing more like the 2019 self in terms of his yeah. decision making than the MVP from 2020, 2021. To really hit the nail on the head, I echo his work there. I just don't think Aaron Rodgers looks the same. Right now, his early down to late down splits are, are drastic. He's definitely like top six, top seven quarterback on first and second downs. But when it comes to the money downs, he's been at least a bottom 12 quarterback, which is not something typically we saw from Rodgers. When you're in the money downs, he doesn't have a go-to receiver. He doesn't have someone that is gonna get open when teams play man. And so he's either just relying on these RPO flat routes or bubble screens, which always worked with Devante, but doesn't work anymore because he doesn't really have chemistry with anyone except Randall Cobb or Alan Lazard, which it doesn't really matter if you have chemistry with them or not. They're going to produce a little bit, but not at the rate Devante is producing at. And the other thing is like Rodgers has been pretty much a bottom eight quarterback under pressure this year, which given Elton Jenkins and Bakhtiari coming back from injuries, that's pretty big. 
the Jets surprisingly rank fourth in pressure rate in the NFL right now, which I don't know if that's as surprising because like to some people getting Carl Lawson back, Quinn Williams is playing like a beast this year. But if they are able to get interior pressure from Quinn and Williams, from Carl Lawson on the outside and make Rodgers have to move, have to play under pressure, I think there is a legit chance the Jets win this game. I think the one pushback I would have is I'm not fully bought into Zach Wilson as Judah that's, is. Yeah, that's an important point. I'm not like bought into Zach Wilson either in the sense of, well, I'm ready to bet the Jets in futures or whatever. But this is a seven and a half point game. If you're betting the Panthers last week at five and a half or six against the Niners, you're throwing shit at the wall and hope something sticks. This, there's like a legitimate angle. There's a legitimate play to say, okay, I'm going to get plus 275 on the money line here. And like, there are real reasons why the Jets could be good. Am I willing to like fully bet that over the long term? No, but like, there's real asymmetric risk here. And if I'm right on this one little thing, which is that Zach Wilson's been a little bit better and the Packers are uh, a little bit worse, the upside's huge. And that's why I love the spot. It's all relative to price. Yeah, and one of the things you're talking about, Judah, is... The market hasn't downgraded the Packers enough. In fact, the market hasn't downgraded the Packers at all. And so we can quantify that. We look at the year-to-date change for the Packers is up one spot. So if we think that the market is still way too high in them, and that's translating into an overly aggressive spread versus a team that's still not being properly appreciated. We've seen the Jets have certainly been upgraded on a season-to-day basis, and particularly last week, but still bottom eight team. My pushback on this handicap would just be something along the lines of the Jazz. It looks like the team's getting things together, but we know that they're still young. I feel like going on the road at Lambeau, we're certainly an experienced quarterback and a well-coached team at minimum. I think that's the square take that's going into why the number is seven and a half. People are like, nah, I can't really listen to the 2022 data. This is Zach Wilson. It's a young and experienced team. By the way, same handicap against Pittsburgh. Zach Wilson coming off from an injury, going against an experienced team and a good coach into Pittsburgh. I'm going to pick him in Survivor. Well, Pittsburgh is clearly a very bad team. Yeah. And the Packers might not be a top five team. But right. they're not a bottom. No, they're not the Steelers. The people we know are willing to put money on the Steelers <laughs> in Survivor. I'm sorry, Dan. But I just started talking about Zach. But yeah, that's true. That's baked into the price, I think, probably a little too much. We're still going to see at least two or three nasty duds from the Jets this yeah. year. But this is by no means a reason to bet the Packers. This would simply be a reason why I might be cautious. You always want, when you're trying to make your bets, you have to see both sides. If you don't see both sides, if you cannot make a justifiable handicap for the other side, then you're just not like seeing the game properly. And that would be like my small pushback. Is this a top five pick? Absolutely. Ravens at Giants. Giants plus five and a half, reduced juice. I don't think I've really seen this move. I think it opened up at six and a half. Six and a half, so down a point. Yeah with a lot of that action as expected on the Ravens line being adjusted the other way, which implies more influential money coming in on the Giants, which makes sense. Cause I don't think there's still really a palatable team that most casual bettors would be betting at this point in time. This is probably their most impressive win where I feel like the broader market is starting to take notice because prior to this, it was like, man, they're like the worst one and no team ever, man, the worst three and one team ever. And I think we can see that they're still 20th. So getting there, this is definitely the highest the Giants have been in years. 
I think this is a tough game to handicap. The Giants, I don't think they're that good of a team. Not very talented, but they're just scrappy. Like they fight. We saw a lot of good things from Daniel Jones that game. That was like one of the best performances I've seen from him as a quarterback. But like, from the Ravens side, like that was also the Ravens best defensive performance. And I think we need to respect that now. Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters both had pretty good games. The thing with the Ravens defense is it's built to stop Joe Burrow. It's built to stop Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, right? Like, that's why they transitioned from a blitz heavy cover or man scheme under Wink Martindale to Mike McDonald, who runs a lot of too high stuff. And that's why Joe Burrow's dot was like 3.8. But I don't know if that necessarily gives them an edge in this game. This is a type of game where like me and Judah were doing a lot of work on this over the summer. The Ravens should be playing a lot of man. Humphrey and Peters are significant advantage over i don't even know who this giants receivers games and david souls or whatever. yeah like i guess the only mismatch here is you can't leave saquon or you can't leave patrick queen one-on-one with saquon barkley because that is probably the biggest mismatch in this game on both sides of the ball but six and a half i think was too many points for the ravens i think it's properly priced at five and a half and i think at this point you're either buying that the giants are like gonna hang in there hang tough or the smart Ravens with Lamar Jackson are just going to blow them out of the water. Yeah, I'm glad Arjun, you said something about the alt line, which is I'm not playing the spread. I would maybe sprinkle something on the alt line. There certainly is the angle of, oh, this Giants start is cute, but like Daniel Jones just played his best game. What happens when he goes back to his career average? They still have no receivers and Lamar Jackson is just too much for them to handle. But I really like the under in this game, which is I talked about it last week, is that I don't think the Giants defense is getting enough respect. I think Wink Martindale is doing a tremendous job scheming up pressure and even just kind of mitigating the fact that his defense doesn't have a lot of talent. And they're producing at a pretty good clip. I think the Ravens, especially if Rashad Bateman is out again, they don't really have the weapons on offense. They don't have the running backs or the kind of run game they've had in the past to lean on. But at the same time, wide distribution of outcomes, but I think there's a pretty fat metal there. I'm looking at the alt lines now on DraftKings. This is pretty insane. <laughs> I had no idea there was like this much optionality. <laughs> so much every fun. half point. How do you think I yeah, entertain myself all day? Yeah, Jesus. And then we never fully got into it the way we wanted to, but to look at the dynamics of alt spread pricing, and try to see if there's hints in there around which lines might be weaker than others and how those alt lines are almost essentially power ranking certain teams. But yeah, I love Ravens alt spread. Vikings at Dolphins. Vikings minus three and a half point road favorites. Oh. So this definitely seems to be pricing in Skylar Thompson. I think it's already confirmed he's starting. I wanted to bet the Vikings on Sunday, and I think the line just wasn't up. If this was under three without the hook, like two and a half, two, I would definitely bet the Vikings for the simple reason that the Dolphins defensive scheme plays right into what the Vikings are good at, which is getting Justin Jefferson the ball in man coverage, because there is truly no cornerback that can stop Justin Jefferson in man. And that's all the Dolphins like to do with or without Xavier Howard. I still feel very confident in the Vikings in this game. And even Adam Thielen, I... Don't think he's washed, but he's regressed obviously a little bit, but I think he's still better than the Dolphins' yeah. number two corner without Byron Jones. The only thing I'm worried about is the Vikings defense allowed like 22 points to the Bears. I think there are some questions about, they play a lot of too high under their defensive coordinator and the Dolphins like to throw the ball short. Tyreek's like average depth of target is pretty low at times. And with Skylar Thompson, it's gonna be very low. So can they wrap up? Can they tackle? I think those are questions that I have about them. 
definitely going to be playing a, a nice Justin Jefferson in the same game parlay or something like that. I just, I don't think the market is really pricing in just how banged up the Dolphins are, especially for a team that plays a lot of man coverage. Jones and, and Howard, um, we'll see if Howard's out. That means a lot more to a team than teams that play zone. Tyree yeah. Kill's banged up, and obviously the quarterback. And Armstead also, I think. And Tron Armstead's banged oh, up. That's right, yeah. They're really, like, almost all of their talent is... Uh, either out or limited in some way. And again, if you're trying to ride the rhythm of a team, again, like started off, market jumped, got really hot on the Vikings after the Packers game in week one, and it's basically been sinking ever since then. But they're not impressing like the casual better in the broader market rankings as well. And so that could potentially leave opportunity, especially for contest purposes. The hook could potentially scare people off yeah. from the Vikings, making them potentially more attractive. Bengals on the road at Saints. This one's been bouncing around between one and two. I feel like I want to say I like the Bengals because the Saints defense, I don't know what's going on there. And the Saints are also banged up. I was looking like Michael Thomas might be out. Alave didn't, wasn't practicing today. Landry was also out. So just huge cluster injuries at the wide receiver spot. And Andy Dalton is good in one or two game stints. But like three in a row, this is about the time when he like starts to suck and we still haven't seen like a really show out performance from the Bengals. I know you've been low on the Bengals, Arjun. I know I've been low. I have them to miss the playoffs ticket, but the Bengals minus one and a half is my biggest play of the year on, on par with Eagles minus three first half against wow. the Cardinals. Okay. So it's going to sound crazy. I know the Bengals haven't looked good two and three. I think they showed enough growth as an offense uh, in that Ravens game to where, okay, I can finally see them maybe turn the corner. Cause we saw Joe, I think we can clown Burrow for the 3.8 a dot, but that's exactly what he's supposed to do in those like two high situations. But the saints are not like that type of Vic Fangio types defense. Like they're going to run their own stuff. And the way I see this playing out, like saints gave up four touchdowns of 20 yards or more against the Seahawks. And if there's one thing the Bengals can do in an instant is generate explosive plays, which we saw against the Dolphins. Marshawn Lattimore's having one of those down years. Like every year, it's either he's a top 10 corner or he's not a good corner. And I think this and he is wasn't a, practicing today either. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say he's cold. Yeah, and DK Metcalf like torched him on Sunday. So that's my angle for the Bengals offense is even if the Saints take away the explosive plays, the Bengals showed me that they can methodically move the ball up and down the field. The run game looked okay on Sunday. And the thing with the Saints is I think a lot of people get scared of their defense. Like, I don't think it's been that impressive outside of maybe the Bucks game. And they always perform well against the Bucks. Right. They allowed, what, 30 plus points to the Seahawks. They have the worst pressure rate in the NFL to the state. And like, that's beautiful. So that's big. That's, there, that's, I that's the yeah. huge one. Yeah, and obviously the Bengals often struggles when Joe Burrow is pressured because he doesn't have time to hit the deep ball. He doesn't have time to go through his progressions. And obviously those pressures turn into sacks very quickly with Burrow. But I don't think he's going to be going through that this game. And then on the flip side, the Bengals defense has been one of the most impressive defenses in the NFL, period. Now I know losing DJ Reader is big, but their secondary is mostly intact. And if the Saints don't have their top three receivers, I think the Bengals D is going to lock down the Saints offense. Alvin Kamara is, is good as a receiver out of the backfield, but like Logan Wilson is a pretty underrated linebacker. He shows up very well in me and Judah's successful coverage over expected metric. 
So there's a lot of angles I really like on the Bengals this game. And so I'm happy to back them. And honestly, I think of this as a neutral stadium because Burrow and Chase are from LSU. I don't know like how much of a Saints fandom there's going to be as compared to LSU fans, but I'm curious. I was really curious to hear about your guys' take on this game. Now you've heavily influenced me. <laughs> I'm fully sold. The pressure angle combined with the explosive yeah. plays really has me. This is a, a schematic thing. Like they were last or bottom of last year in allowing explosive pass plays, the Saints were. And I think the very fact that like Burrow's Achilles heel has always been those pressures to sacks. And if those pressures aren't coming in the first place, the sacks aren't either. Yeah. Uh, and I, those are more plays, like volume, that may have been sacks, especially the longer developing ones, that would turn into explosive plays against the Saints. And if the Saints turn out to be down their top three wide receivers with Andy Dalton at quarterback, even if it is James Winston with no weapons and could create even just more negative plays. But Bengals versus Cowboys, like the single factor was basically the pressure that the Cowboys were getting on the Bengals to disrupt that offense. And also this reminds me of the NFL Big Data Bowl talking about the offensive line. Yeah. And one of the things I think maybe we were flirting with this idea in the offseason, Judah, thinking about like chemistry amongst offensive line and how does that play out? And that's one of the things that people are anecdotally saying around something, a team like the Bengals. The offensive line, like they don't have chemistry because everyone knew, oh man, the Bengals really upgraded their offensive line over the course of the season. That was their biggest link last year. And now it's no longer going to be a meaningful vulnerability. We know obviously the quarterback still affects that and everything, but just wondering over the course of the season, does the strength, the resiliency, the chemistry, how the players play together on that offensive line, if it gets better, maybe it's still too soon for something like that to really necessarily play out. But yeah, this defensive line versus offensive line component, I think is a huge angle here. And I think even if you didn't say anything else, Arjun, if you just said, this is going to be my biggest play of the year, probably just be like, all right, case closed, let's move on yeah. to the next game. No, I can't do that, man. <laughs> Our podcast, Better Than Weeks, are own freaking five. This is probably going to be the one I pitch when we record our Take the Points podcast, but... Oh, wow, yeah. sneak peek here. First info. All right, Patriots at Browns. Patriots plus two and a half. Ooh. I saw a three. I was going to say, I could get to three. Yeah, how's market positioning on this one? It's relatively oh, split. 57-43. Yeah. Now that we don't have the hook, I like the Browns in this spot at home. Yeah. Browns fundamentally aren't really like a two and three team. They're more three and two or possibly yeah. four and one. Could make the case for them being almost like five and oh. For sure. Also, especially if you're buying into the narrative with Bill Belichick can outcoach you for whatever that means. I generally fade yeah. this sort of angle. Yeah. Uh, but I like the Browns are certainly up there as one of the best coaching staffs in the league. And that angle certainly does not exist in this game. I every bit trust Kevin Stefanski to beat Bill Belichick, which I guess is basically saying that like the Browns have talent on their side and I think they're fundamentally the better team. And I think the Patriots' biggest comparative advantage is coaching, and I think that's mitigated in the spot. The market still has the Browns as that top 10 team, but a big difference with their impredict, which is like the spread itself is for this sure. week, it's a little bit off market. Yeah, and a lot of that Browns change came from last week big five-point jump, even after losing versus the Chargers, which I think goes to demonstrate as well. I know Arjun, posted something earlier around how the Browns played very well and easily could have just won that game. I think the one question I have about this game, and I mean, I haven't bet this yet because I was waiting for the hook to go away, 
but this is basically the battle of the top two rushing offenses in the NFL. We know the Browns are going to get theirs. The Patriots rushing defense, it's not as bad as it looks, held the Lions to a pretty, to a pretty bad rushing game. And a lot of their bad rushing EPA comes from the Baltimore game where Lamar Jackson ran for 100 yards. But how worried are we about this Browns defense? Like they are an absolute funnel up the middle. Like Austin Eckler ran for 100 something yards and he was really bad the first couple of games of the year. Do you think that the Browns load the box and dare Bailey Zappi to beat him? Right? You can't do that against Chargers. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And the Browns, from an analytics perspective, are one of the smartest teams in the league. So I'm sure they already have a bunch of stuff about what they should be doing optimally against yeah. a quarterback like Zappi. But I don't see the Patriots winning this game. Unless Jacoby Brissett just gets absolutely figured out by Bill Belichick, I feel like the Browns have too much of an advantage on the ground and on the air on the defensive side of the ball to where they shouldn't lose this game. Yeah. In which Belichick does have that familiarity with Brissett. Yeah. Having been played for a couple of years with the Patriots. And if the Browns lean into a strategy like you mentioned, Judah, for Zappy to beat. I haven't seen anything from him to suggest that he's even bad. That's itself revealing though. Like when he's had, when he had to pass the ball so far in both games, like he's hit the 25 yarder or the 30 yarder. But it's not even like they've all been dump offs. Same thing as like what Belichick has usually done with his young quarterbacks is he doesn't put them in really bad positions and also doesn't force them to make throws in compromising spots. He's attempted 36 passes through two games. How sustainable is that? Aren't the Browns pretty good in unscripted plays? Or no, they're like league average before the Chargers game on your graph, Judah. They're probably yeah. going to move up after scoring two touchdowns on their opening two drives against the Chargers. But yeah, I think it's just going to be a run-heavy fest, right? I feel like the pace is going to be pretty slow in this game. Yeah. A lot of runs. And for that reason, I wouldn't like the over. That's why I would think more so under on the 43 and a half just because both these teams are gonna be soaking up clock, unless you think that they're gonna be giving up like big runs. Yeah, yeah, but that's the Patriots defense is, is always so like technical, like they won't, they won't miss tackles like the Chargers do. Like they want a lot of these explosive runs like the Chargers do or other yeah. teams against the Browns do. Archim, yeah. just answer your question, they're fourth now. That's great, on script address. Huge jump. They're fourth? Yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> okay. Yeah, this might be a first quarter play, Gita, and yeah. a full game play. One thing that I don't really see, a lot of people just post things like, here's this in this state and time. So as of week four, as of week five, without any context around how these things are changing over time. Because what you just pointed out, Arjun, like there's a massive jump from the Browns in one week that might actually distort the broader kind of season to date really takeaway. So can you lean into that bet because they just had a huge outlier performance and that was distorted the statistic when you want to see a little bit more of the broader context. That's why I wish I saw more trajectory over time, like a time series of how things are changing to yeah. give you a little bit better sense of like noise and signal. You can say the exact opposite there, which is the mean represents the range of outcomes, right? And the 14 is not a fluke in the same way that the previous couple of weeks and then being 15th, maybe that's a fluky part. And all of it together as an average was representative. I, I think there's good reason to suggest like the Browns could be a top five team. Yeah, well, I need an average with a standard deviation. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I was gonna say, you just need the standard deviation. 
All right, Jags at Colts. Are we all on Jags? Is this a two-sided handicap? It's buying the Jags and selling the Colts. Yeah. Do we look at the Colts injury report today? That thing was massive. A lot of in key pieces did not practice, period. The Jags strength is on their defense their defensive line matt ryan is inviting pressure the offensive line is a disaster anyway fire drive quality they're 32nd best on offense they're absolutely dreadful i don't i like said it at the open i don't understand how they're being power ranked in the 20th i don't understand how they're ranked to be the favorite in the afc i did it's just i don't get it I they're the favorites it. right now to win the division yeah they're so wait, what's the jags right now to win the division 225 okay so it's still off it's lows because i know it was still in the 300s even after like week one week two this is an alt line spot for me for sure oh yeah the medals in this game are so yeah. far in my view. absolutely absolutely i already bet five and a half plus 200 i'm levering up there all right panthers at rams plus 10 with pj walker new coach steve wilkes former Cardinals coach. Rams have looked ugly. Panthers have obviously looked like ugly, so much so that they fired their coach in week five. Seems like a big number for a Rams team that sneakily has one of the worst offenses. I don't think you can take either side here. When it looks like the broader public too is betting the Panthers. And I never feel comfortable when the public feels comfortable betting the underdog. Yeah. And thinking that they're being very clever. Doing so. I want to say the bottom to buy on the Rams, but again, at a double digit spread, that's no bottom. So this is 10 with a 41 total. That's crazy. PJ Walker, as I talked about last time, he's not somebody you can trot out there week in and week out, but in standalone spots, he has performed. He's covered numbers. I think they were like plus nine last year versus the Cardinals, and they ended up beating them by three touchdowns, covering that spread by 30 points. And the Panthers have a, certainly a sufficient defense versus a weak offense to hang around that number if P.J. Walker is not going to throw two pick sixes. Okay, Cardinals at Seattle. Cardinals minus two and a half. Like the Cardinals, bet them 101 to win the Super Bowl. If they're going to win the division, they're going to win in this spot. I'd rather capture the upside here. Cardinals That's seem legitimately like a team that is getting incrementally better week by week not so much so to raise anybody's eyebrows and so they can potentially be pretty sneaky here and if seattle has the worst defense i think this could be one of those games where you finally see the cardinals score like 30 points i wouldn't bet this at two and a half the cardinals i would just get this live because i think the seahawks are going to go up early right now seahawks are second in offensive epa in the first half of games cardinals are 30th pretty much the same play i had on eagles minus three first half but now we're getting the seahawks at plus 0.05 or straight up pick them and that's not a bad bet the seahawks gonna be at home Gino's coming off one of his better games. I'm pretty sure the Seahawks are mostly healthy on offense. Kenneth Walker looked pretty solid last week, so I'll probably lock this in at some point. I just want to see how far the line moves. But Seahawks first half, and then throw profits, if any, on, on the Cardinals full game. So Seahawks first half Cardinals game, plus oh, 650. I, I don't mind that bet, but I guess the question is, do the Cardinals win this game? outright if they don't win the first half right i'm not as bought into the cardinals i think the only play i would have is a seahawks first half in, in this game 
Yep, still tough to play in Seattle. I wish this was Pick'em. That'd definitely be more attractive. But even at the two, I still like Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are still in a different tier. Bills at KC. Let's hit three. I bet it already at three. Looks like it came down, back down to two and a half. The Bills have obviously romanced everyone because they've looked so dominant in a lot of the games that they win. And the sure. Chiefs, outside of that Cardinals game, flirt with disaster. I still like the Chiefs at home, especially at the three. I think we've already seen Bills cracks. Again, the Bills, when they look good, they just look so good that everyone is hearts in their eyes forgets about all the bad. And we've already seen them struggle, put in questionable performances first, both the Dolphins and the Ravens, both on the road. This is a huge game with respect to potentially number one seed and home field advantage in the playoffs. Alec Chiefs. Yeah, I see this as a point flip. Right. Two elite teams, you take the underdog. If you look at like our drive quality stuff right now. Basically, the Bills are in their own tier. They're like the only team in the top right. It doesn't really matter against the Chiefs. The Chiefs can put up 40. I'm with you guys. I think you have to take the Chiefs. I've already bet this at two and a half. I bet it before it got to three. I didn't think it would hit three. I think the Chiefs defense is not that bad. I think they did look really bad against the Raiders, but the Raiders actually have a running game that the Chiefs had to respect. Like, Chiefs respected Devontae Adams and that hurt them with Josh Jacobs tearing them up in the run game, but there's no one on the Bills that's gonna do that. So like, you can respect Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis without worrying about Devin Singletary running for a hundred yards in this game. But the thing with the Bills defense is they are a primarily zone team. They run a lot of cover two, four, and six. And I might be completely wrong on this. I think this year, the way to beat the Chiefs is if you have a good secondary, you have to play man on them because they don't have people that can separate. And I think when teams play zone against the Chiefs, Mahomes is in now year five as a starter. He's been in the league for six years. He knows how to read defenses. He knows how to pick apart zone like good quarterbacks can. In the past, it was rush four, drop seven, and you play zone behind you because you, you can't play man on Tyreek. But I think you can't play zone on the Chiefs this year because they're going to pick you apart with all their pre-snap motion and all the underneath stuff that they've been doing. So because the bills run a lot of zone and because i've seen mahomes pick apart zone in general this year i do chiefs and i know that it's such a small sample size early on but like the chargers had the only good defensive performance i've seen against the chiefs and they played 41 percent cover one in week two that's my angle on this game i don't know if it's right or wrong i don't know if the bills are gonna do some weird stuff but i don't see the bills secondary especially without Tredavious white and potentially jordan poyer having any success is slowing down the Chiefs. I like that a lot. I think it also just goes to show matchups matter a lot less when you're Patrick Mahomes on the other side. Yeah. Like, how's the take with the Tampa game? I think you say the same thing about the Bills, which is why it's, if you're going to price in some sort of matchup angle, I'll fade that. A lot of us thought at the beginning of the season when the Bills demolished the Rams, they're like right off the bat, like, damn, this team is good. Look how impressive they are. Whereas a couple of weeks later, now, that's certainly lost some of his luster. Yeah. And then they demolish the Titans, and then they demolish the Steelers. All right, they're like whooping the asses of some bad teams, which, which a good team should. That's what a top three, top two team should. But the Chiefs have played a decent Cardinals team, played the Chargers, played the Bucks, 
And I think everyone's very well aware that the Raiders are certainly much better than their one and four record implies. So basically just to say is I feel like the Chiefs have certainly been tested more than the Bills. And the Bills' toughest games versus the Dolphins and Ravens, one, they're down by double digits and lost the other. And both are on the road. And now they're going to go on a road in a very hostile case. I, that's a Casey slam dunk. At plus three. I think to your point, dude, I like those pick them. Then it's how can you really have a very strong conviction in either way? These are just two great teams. Yeah. But at plus three at home and already having, I feel like, been tested more and the market's a little bit too hot on the bill. Think about this. Mahomes, plus three at home. How? The only right. other thing, Edge, before we move on, live bet this game. Tons of volatility, lots of points. You'll be able to grab both sides. Live bet this yeah. game. Cowboys at Eagles. Cowboys now out to six and a half. Cooper Rush, I think he's also undefeated. AT. Eagles look very clunky in the second half of games, but mostly because they can afford to do They start off hot. But Eagles are starting to deal with some of their own injuries piling up. A lot of points, division game. I think the biggest thing what Cooper Rush is doing is just not putting them in really bad positions. He's not losing them any game. But do you think that's a product of the game strips he's been in where yeah. their defense has been able to overwhelm the opposing offenses and that's allowed Cooper Rush to flourish. That leads me right to say I actually like the Eagles all tier which is that I really don't trust Cooper Rush when he's put in a bad spot and I can see the Eagles jumping out to a lead here and then it's okay we've got Cooper Rush trying to come back and the market's pressing in a Cooper Rush that's 5-0 against the spread and has played in only a particular type of game script. I like that. I think the thing with the Cowboys is so hyped up on their defensive line, which obviously they should be. Jalen Hurts is a pretty mobile quarterback that does a very good job of not letting pressures turn into the sacks. She shows up above average on Kevin Cole's like survival analysis and like how many sacks a QB prevents versus their offensive line. I don't think Jordan Mailata's played in the past like two games. Maybe Dan can correct me there, but... No Mylata, so they're probably playing like Andre Dillard or something. I do get worried about Micah Parsons, but he's also hurt with his groin injury. So I agree with Judah. I think if you really trust this Eagles defense, which I think you should, and don't trust Cooper Rush, which I don't think you should either, then the alt line is the better play here. But I don't think you can bet this at six and a half. Like that is a lot of points for a team that kind of lets their foot off the pedal in the second half of the game. Anecdotally also, hearing a bunch of different podcasts go yeah. from whenever you do a little power ranking to like mm -hmm. Eagles in their own tier to now, like I was hearing questionable whether the Eagles or Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. That was a conversation. Yeah, that's an inappropriate. <laughs> but like insofar as that is any signal, it certainly seems like the steam from the broader consensus is slowing yeah. down the Eagles. Yeah. Now's the time to buy the Eagles. That's how I see it. Everyone's kind of coming down. It's just in this spot. Last game on the slate, Monday Night Football, Broncos at the Chargers. Broncos plus five. I know in the Sunday Night Tilt, this one stuck out to us. It opened at six and a half. And Broncos certainly looked at least superficially attractive at that number. And I saw it come all the way down to four and a half. And even this is plus five reduced juice. So certainly could potentially still be moving in that direction. 60-40 split leaning Chargers. 75% of the bets on Chargers at DraftKings. In any case, still, I would like Chargers here. Apparently, Russell Wilson is banged up, or at least maybe that's the excuse for why he sucks so bad. But Broncos are dealing with a whole bunch of injuries as well, and they want to lean on their running game, and obviously no Williams now. And Melvin Gordon is no longer a lead back, and 
they probably don't want him to be because he fumbles so much. I think Darby went out. Nah, he's out for the season. Yeah. Their secondary is just getting trashed. Yeah, they're probably going to get Justin Simmons back. I remember seeing something like two weeks ago saying he was going to come back for this game. That would definitely be a huge boost for them. But I hate betting Chargers games. But yeah, six and a half is too much. I would have bet that at six and a half if I wasn't a Chargers fan. I mean, I even liked it on the forecast. But I think with this game, like the angle is like Brandon Staley has completely neutralized Russell Wilson in the three matchups. He was defensive coordinator with the Rams. And now oh, Russell... Oh, yeah, I heard you talk about that. That's... Yeah, and now Russell doesn't have his left tackle. And one of the things I give a lot of credit to Brandon Staley for, he does a very good job of scheming one-on-ones. Like his bliss packages are one of the best in the league. And the Broncos offensive line looked pretty shoddy last week. So I do think Khalil Mack could be in for a good game, even if he might face a lot of double teams. And like the Chargers interior pass rush has been pretty good this year. And I think JC Jackson's been playing like ass. He, he could be due for a bounce back game against i hope they match him up on Cortland sudden because he struggled against good route runners like jerry judy so if the chargers do the right thing and put jc on Cortland sudden and asante samuel on jerry judy i think they can have some success but the broncos have more weak links on defense than the chargers do and i think the chargers have the capability with an elite quarterback to take advantage of that but at four and a half i would take the chargers at five i'd probably take the chargers at six and a half it's probably more value on the broncos you made a great point on your podcast earlier this week when you're talking about how Russell Wilson had that red hot season through the first nine, 10 weeks. Everyone talked about how he could potentially be an MVP. I think that was the birth of the let Russ cook era. And then it dramatically cooled over the back six games or so, which lined up playing Staley's defense three times. So it was like a huge catalyst for the change in that narrative. I think my only hesitancy here would be is I just don't trust them to win by margin. And five is might be too much margin. I mean, they flirted with not covering five versus the Texans. I know. Yeah. The, to Judah's articles, I don't know if you'd ever, you can ever write up Chargers alt lines until they can prove they can win again. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> actually, and Judah, I don't think you've ever even pitched that this season, no. have you? No. See, this actually, that's a great point of we're trying to evaluate how the pricing of alt lines is yes chargers like minus 14 and a half versus a comparable opponent versus ravens versus a comparable opponent those minus 14 and a half should not be priced the same are they and then if there is different distinctions in those pricings then if that gives you other hints as well around just imbalances in market action or whatever all right Thanks again for coming on, Arjun. That was awesome. Some great insights. Definitely one of our best market outlooks season to date. Definitely hope you can carve out some time and join us again this season. And for anyone who doesn't know, Taking the Points podcast with Arjun and Tej, awesome podcast. Definitely check it out. Thanks everyone for listening and that's closing bell.